0: We hold these truths to be self evident, that all men are created equal. But today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Is that it's a journey into comics network production? Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? 14,605. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey Into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd, with your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey Into Comics 279. I am your host, Nate. Unfortunately, T.Y. is unavailable, but we will be seeing him very, very soon. Next week's episode, we'll have Tyler back. We will be doing all the lovely things we said we were going to be doing when we got together again. Today is a different kind of episode. Now, as I talked about last week, um... There was the whole Morbius trailer thing, and I had made some predictions and had some thoughts, and then, holy shit, that all got blown out of the water. We're going to be diving into Morbius today. We're also going to be talking about some Avengers news and some Doctor Strange stuff. Um, Before we do that, we're also going to be talking about the Joker movie. I finally saw it. I'm going to be discussing it. I have a lot to say. have a lot of opinions and viewpoints that I think... fans who are like me, who are on the outskirts, who have still not seen this movie, need to know to better wrap your mind around it. And uh, I'll I'll get into all that in a minute. But before we even get to that, let me talk just briefly about this crazy, insane past couple of days. It seems like every time I'm talking to your folks, uh, there's stuff happening. And every time stuff happens, I feel like it just compiles, and it's not always bad stuff. It's just sometimes really strange stuff, stuff that you just you can't predict life. It's very weird, you know? So we, you know... Had our pretty chill, we you know, typical relaxing weekend as we are leading into starting show season up again. We're about to start doing our shows again, and our first show is going to be this coming weekend in Lafayette. If you're in that area, we are going to be playing North and Pub for the Doom Room third annual award show. Highly encourage you be there. As Walk Among Us will be uh, stepping off and stepping away in the middle of the show to do something we've never done. Well, we've done it before, but we've rarely done some of the things we're anticipating doing for this Lafayette show. So you want to get eyes on it for sure. So uh, Friday, you know, we practiced and we studied and we talked about some band related stuff and had dinner, you know, just typical hangout stuff. Uh, We did watch a movie. I'll be discussing that on the next foodies special when that airs in a few weeks here. Leading into the third se- or the fourth season. Um, so we, uh, you know, Saturday got up. Oh, it was actually Saturday's the day we watched the movie that I'm not going to talk about. But, anyways, I digress. So, Saturday we got up, you know, had our fucking day, chilled, had some lunch, was working on music stuff, did some running, had to run errands. Uh, amidst all this, I realize, oh, it's it's fight night. It's UFC night. And I haven't watched UFC in a hot minute. And man, I tell you what, I happened to catch uh Mr. Robert Downey Jr. on Joe Rogan's podcast. And listening to him talk, he, you know, discussed the Cowboys Roney uh, McGregor fight. And I was like, shit, I should just that's a that's actually probably a good card. I should jump back on now. Like I know a lot of the fighters on that card anyways, so let's just do it, you know. So, I told the girls, I was like, listen, about 9 o'clock, I'm putting the fights on. I don't know if you girls want to go in the back and work on some music or do some other stuff. But, like, that's my focus. I'm going to have to watch these fights. I haven't seen a fight in forever. I'm kind of craving it, you know. So, they went in the back. I'm starting to watch it. It, And my internet's being really weird. And I should have known then that something was probably not going to be great with our night. Because the internet just kept killing my feed. So, I couldn't watch the show just as uh, the flow of fighting. I had to, like sit and, you know, I will would have saw somebody punch someone else in the face, but they're froze on the punch, and I don't know if that person survived or if they, you know, uh went out from the punch, you know, or or, or got dropped or whatever. uh. So it was a little bit frustrating, but got to the McGregor fight, and then my TV just froze completely. Fucking nope, said nope. And I was like, come the fuck on, man. I want to just watch this fight. And I had posted online about the fight. And I said, well, you know, who do you got or whatever. And people were commenting. And I noticed that, like, minutes after I stopped watching, my internet, my my notifications on Facebook kind of blew up. And I was like, oh, fight's already over. Somebody won fucking fast. And I didn't get a chance to see even a second. I didn't even see him touch gloves. So I was pretty mad about that. So I finally wait, 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 wait. And then the feed fixes itself. And I'm able to finish watching. And finish watching it i'm chilling out i'm just kind of hanging out i'm getting ready for bed it's getting kind of late and i'm like okay i've got a list of things i gotta do i gotta go feed the cats outside i gotta go make sure that all the shit that i want to get done in the house is done because i like to kind of keep the house clean at night going into the morning so you don't wake up into a mess it just literally helps your mental that's a little spoiler from me to you I know you probably hate cleaning. I know you probably uh, suffer from going to long days of work and whatever and having fucking crazy anxiety and stress from your job and whatnot. But listen, if you just come home and you and your spouse just chill together and you got your kiddo playing or doing whatever, you don't have a kid, whatever, and you all just as a team just say, hey, let's just spend one hour cleaning as much as we can. If you do that every day, you'll never have to clean for an hour. You'll, you'll You'll literally only clean like 30 minutes at most unless you make a giant dinner, a big mess or something like that. So it's just when you let that stuff go untouched that it becomes unattainable, and it's hard to stay on top of, right? So I'm like, I just finished up some dishes, I'm doing some other shit, you know, I'm just kind of fucking dorking around, about to play some Pokemon on my computer, and I'm sitting there, and I accidentally kind of doze off a little bit, and then I hear, BOOM, and the power goes off, and I'm like, what the fuck, are we being bombed? What the fuck? And then the power comes back on. I was like, oh, good. I'm, I'm, I I'm. must have just imagined the boom. And then like three seconds later, boom, and the power goes off again. I'm like, what the fuck? So I jump up. I grab my phone. I turn my flashlight on because we got no power in the house at all. The girls are screaming. They're like, what the fuck's going on? You know, they're not screaming, but they're, they're like, what the fuck is going on? And so I run back to the back where they are, and I have my flashlights. They have their flashlights, and we're talking. The power is off, okay? I want This is very important to, to, to talk about and to note power is already off on our house we have no electricity currently it's black out in my house and the power surges for a tenth of a second comes back on we heard a crackly pop saw a blue light over by one of the outlets and then the power went off again and i freaked the fuck out ran to where the breaker box is shut all the breakers down it was like okay well, until we hear from Nipsco, until we know exactly what the fuck's going on, there's not going to be any power allowed into our house. We'll keep it out until we know that everything's okay. And then once we know everything's okay, we'll flip the breakers. It'll be cool. So we call Nipsco. It's a little bit after 12, and it's already minus five degrees outside with the wind chill. And my first thought is, oh man, those fucking kittens. What the fuck? Like, we've already had tragedy and bullshit happen with these cats. Already, I'm not gonna go out there to find them froze to death. That would just absolutely break my heart. So I talked to the girls, I'm like, okay, hey, what are we gonna fucking do here? And they're like, okay. So we'll shut the back half of the house off, we'll turn on our fireplace, we'll bring the meeps inside, we'll make sure Ami is on the same side, even though that might sound counterintuitive. We're just gonna try to see if they'll like get acquainted with each other or whatever. So we go get the cats, we bring them in, we call NIPSCO. We're talking, I finally get through to Nipsco, I tell them what's going on, I also let them know, I'm like, listen man, I don't know if y'all are aware, but I have like a 96 year old next door neighbor, and she's fucking old and lives alone, and I don't really know her setup, she doesn't really call upon us when shit's fucked up, you know, e- e- You know, as neighbors, which is, I mean, whatever, you don't want to bother your neighbor, I respect that, but like, still, I have to think about my neighbor, and I'm like, I'm not gonna be the asshole who didn't tell them that there's a fucking old ass lady next door, and then she fucking croaks in her sleep because of the cold, That's fucked up. So I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna let them know. So I let them know they mark us as an emergency within like 30 minutes. We start hearing stuff and I look out the window in the studio and I see there is flashing lights that are police lights and there is also uh, what do you call it? There's a big spotlight on one of the poles and I'm like, "Oh, well they they found most likely where the boom came from and the problem is and they're fixing it." Cool. So my thought was when I don't see those lights anymore, even if Nipsco hasn't yet called me because Nipsco is slow and they're, uh, you know, not all together with the time service that's the Northern Indiana um Power Source Corporation, I do believe. Uh so They told me they would call me when the power is back on, but like I said, I would keep my eye on this pole because my thought is when they leave that pole, they've either got the problem fully fixed or they're fucking close to having the problem fixed because that's where we heard the noise. It all correlates to the story that is happening, right? So I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm watching the lights. I'm watching the lights. V and I are hanging out. Sarah goes to bed. V and I are hanging out. We're hanging with the kittens, playing with them a little bit, you know, chilling. V and I play a fuck ton of Uno, heads up, Uno, just one-on-one. It was really fun and hilarious and had a lot of craziness. And Anyways, so about 315 V's like, I can't, I gotta go to sleep. Like, I can't stay up any longer, and the estimated time for return to power was 415. They had sent me an email, 415. I was like, oh, 415 is not terrible. I can survive four hours in the dark, like, it'll be all right. I also knew that the the weather outside was getting worse. It got down to, like, minus 20 with the wind chill, and I'm just like, man, I'm really grateful that I, or I'm really glad that I was ahead enough with my thoughts to think about the outside cats and be like, oh, shit, even if they could be okay, them being out for four hours in minus 18 weather is not healthy for them at all. That's why they don't go out when it's shitty out. They stay in the little shed with the heat lamp and everything that I have for them so they can stay warm. So... I'm just really glad that we brought him in because it probably wouldn't have been very a very good situation. So, V goes to bed. I stay up for another hour. I put Guardians on, First Guardians, and I'm watching it. Because I have it on my computer already downloaded, so I don't have to, you know, like... I didn't have to have power because my laptop has its own power source, right? So, I'm watching the First Hour Guardians because I hadn't used my laptop or I hadn't taken it off the charger yet. So, when I finally did take it off the charger you know, boom, now here we are, it's got a lot of juice, and I can sit and watch something in my interim, and not be completely bored by myself with these cats, so I'm watching Guardians, and I get up at about the scene where they escape the kiln, and I go look out the window, and the lights are gone, completely gone, and I don't hear any people, and I'm like, We're close. It's like about 4 o'clock. I'm like, we're close. So I'm like, okay. And I look, and I don't notice that my neighbors have any power, and I'm like, okay. It's coming on in like the next 10 minutes. I feel it. I'm going to go get the breaker ready because we know that there's not any continuing drama. I'll get the breaker ready. So when they kick the power up, our house will just be ready to go, and I don't have to go start dealing with shit. I can just be wherever I am in the moment and get myself ready for bed because I'm fucking exhausted at this point. And there's only a couple things I need to check. Make sure Sarah's computer didn't get fucking fried. Make sure the board and all of our fucking band gear didn't get fucking fried and all that shit. So I'm sitting there watching Guardians now that I've got the breaker set. And all of a sudden, pop. It's not a boom, it's a pop. And the lights come on, but there is a flash of orange light to my left and smoke. So something fried somehow, I thought. We can't find any damage. There's no sign of any burnt. There was a smell of burnt for a minute, but it went away quickly. I don't know if it was just, like, dust that caught fire when the surge happened and that's what we saw or whatever it was. But whatever the fuck it was, uh, nothing got damaged. It was cool. Like, we were really, really fucking lucky, and I had finally went to bed. And then Sunday, got up, watched some football, We had a full band rehearsal, our first practice and our first jam in almost two months of like being off the road, which has been nice. Take a little bit of a break. We did that practice and man, I don't know what it is and I'm not trying to be braggadocious, but I thought we played the best we played. Like We were just on it. We were just locked in. And the crazy part is I did that whole practice with a fucking migraine. I had a migraine. So like to lead up into this show, I wanted Tyler to be on and we have to go pick up Ollie at 6.30. That was the exact moment in time Tyler was available for the podcast. It just, this week did not work, and it really sucks. I miss Tyler greatly. I really want him back on the show ASAP. He is my dude. I mean, I also miss Buckles. We get to do wrestling together, though, so we still at least get to have those conversations more and more. It's been a few weeks now since Tyler and I have actually got to catch up and talk, and it's killing me. So, Tyler, I miss you. Have you... To hear this podcast just saying it aloud to the world whatever so Sunday last night I dropped V off with this stupid migraine I, I was like listen hon I gotta go home I can't hang out with you and the kid I'm gonna fucking die if I don't try to go get some rest so I got home and I was like oh fuck I still have JIC to do like I didn't even text Tyler back like I'm a fucking asshole god damn it what am I gonna do and I put my mind in this like, well, okay, you can go try to ramble on a migraine for an hour and be probably pretty shitty and not have a lot to say and not really be able to elaborate your thoughts that well. Or uh, you can do it tomorrow morning. And I was like, well, if I do it tomorrow morning, I got to still bring a little extra thunder and give reason why I didn't do this podcast because I don't want to be the douchebag that doesn't do the show on his own network You know, that's kind of shitty. Like, other people can miss their shows here and there and whatever, and I'm not, like, really that upset about it. It kind of sucks because it's like I wanted to keep the whole flow of us always releasing content. But people got lives. I get it, too. But I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm laying there, and I had taken some medicine, trying to feel a little better, drink a bunch of water, and I got, like, okay enough. My migraine was dull. It was tolerable. It was... Like, I could have podcasted at that point on it, you know? Like, it wouldn't have been a great show, but it would have been okay. But I thought, maybe I should just shut the fuck up for a couple hours, watch something, and not literally not say anything to anybody, and then just go to bed, and then wake up fresh and talk about what I watched. So, I picked, I decided on watching the Joker movie, the Joaquin Phoenix Oscar-nominated galore Joker movie. Let me just say, folks, in case you didn't know, Joker has been nominated for the following categories. I'm just going to go like backwards from the list. Let's see. So Joker for costume design, Joker for makeup and hair. uh, Joker for sound mixing, Joker for sound editing, Joker for film editing. Uh, These are all nominations, obviously. Joker for cinematography. Joker for adapted screenplay. Uh Joker for director, Todd Phillips. Let's see. You've got Walking Phoenix Joker lead actor and Joker for best picture. Those are all the nominations of those movies or for that movie. So let's see. 1 2 uh 3 four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven different nominations for the Joker, you guys, just in case you didn't know. So yes, this movie does have some Oscar bait. Yes, this movie is deep, has a lot to say, does it in a very clever way. Okay. So what is the Joker? You're like I'm completely naive and I have no idea what the fuck this story is about. I like the comics and I know Joker, but like, I don't understand what this story is about. Okay. This is Todd Phillips and Warner brothers and DC's attempt at making a story about the Joker, an origin story, if you will, essentially their ideology of how that character could actually be born in the world we live in now. Now, the movie doesn't necessarily even say what time it is, and you could argue that it's maybe not set current times. There's some, you know, definite things that um, don't give away 100% the time frame, as it were. It's kind of elusive in that regard. So, this movie does a good job of saying, okay, how does a person, a normal person, become that? And how do you take somebody who is just a person who maybe is suffering that you don't even know is suffering or is just weird, it really makes you think about how you treat people and how you act towards people. Even if you are already nice to people, it really makes you go like, man, you might see somebody who you think is all like fucking cracked down on drugs and they literally are just PTSD all the time. That's their reality is living in post-traumatic stress. And they literally just walk through the world in this like fucking malaise. Okay, so the story of the Joker is about Arthur Fleck. He's a clown. It's no joke. He works for this place, the Ha Ha Company, and he is just this guy who's quirky. He, you find out very early in the movie, laughs uncontrollably. A lot of times, though, what I noticed was his laughter uncontrollably wasn't towards laughter. It actually sound, it seemed like he was more crying, like it was his soul crying, and it just happened to sound like a laugh, which was, I don't know if they even actually fully, like, make that effect, but it seemed that when he was crying out in pain, his cry wasn't a cry, it was laughter, and that was moving and touching to me, and it was just like, God damn, this movie has got, like, all, right, right, right off the bat, I think five minutes in, I was like, this movie's fucking deep. Because, like, they take you through it. They take you through Arthur being this normal guy, working this normal job. There's going to be lots of spoilers, by the way, if you don't know. Maybe I should take a drink break before we get really, really deep into this, right? Um, This week's drink break is... And just to help anybody who doesn't know how you do a drink break on the network, you always tip your hat to the show coming the next day. So this one goes to Poor360. You could also do the previous day. Shout out to the Dungeons with Dudes crew. This is my drink break. I think more solo podcasts need to be real and not edit shit like that out. I think it's so fucking fake. It's childish, you know, really. I mean, not not to be like that, but, like, think about it. Like, you're taking the human out of yourself if you just make this podcast your voice with no emotion, no sniffles or sneezes or any pauses or breaks you just chop your shit up to be this like concise thing I, like I get it that's not humans talking to humans that becomes almost a form of like human edited a robot you know where you're only like pushing directly the message you want to say without the person who's saying the message so anyways this joker flick as we get into this you know fleck you learn lives with his mom really shitty apartment there's this really interesting interaction that kind of sets the tone for the whole movie. And I kind of felt right then what was happening. Like, I I, I had to tip off to what the bigger picture of this movie was going to try to explain to us, which they eventually do. But, like, he is on the elevator with this girl. And she's got her little kid. And she thinks he's just a normal guy because he's not talking. He's not really laughing. He's just standing there. So he's an unassuming man standing there and she's just like this kid's like constantly chatting about how she hates the building and her the mom like does the fake like blow her brains out type thing and arthur's like yeah and he like doesn't do anything or say anything in the elevator he waits a creepy amount of time until they're off the elevator and then he does this whole like gun to the head motion blow your brains out thing he just like hey you know and it's like as a woman that seems creepy as a dude. That's like, what the fuck bro? But I also understand. look, he has he, he has two things going on here if you look at the psychology of Arthur Fleck. First and foremost, he's in an already anxiety ridden position, most likely because he prefers to be a little recluse. You know, he prefers a little bit to be to himself and his private life because the people that are around him are causing chaos. and that's kind of the whole movie is everybody's so mean to each other. you know, and everybody's so mean to each other. And there, again, there's so many little underlying things. So Zaza beats characters who I'm talking about. He sees her and then does the whole gun thing or whatever. But you you look at, again, Arthur Flex' psychology. The one side's anxiety-ridden and the other side is him knowing he is anxiety-ridden and going, listen, if I don't take a chance and say something to this girl or try to communicate like a normal human person would maybe I'll never talk to this person again, and that is a, a regret. So now there's two sides. There's your, your anxiety and your regret playing Deadpool's advocate in your head, and you wait, and you delay. He says, the he does the hey, and then does the blowout thing, and it's kind of creepy. As the movie progresses, you get this interesting scene with his mom, and he fantasizes, it seems, about being on the Murray Franklin show. And... Murray Franklin, played by De Niro, excellent role. I th- I don't think he actually got nominated, which he should have been nominated for a uh, um, for uh, supporting actor. Or and Zaza should have been supporting actress, but I don't think either of them were. I don't think I saw either of their names in the. Oh oh no no that's uh, yeah no no they did not. I saw Walking Phoenix and lead actor. And I was like oh yeah they did, but it was the wrong thing. Anyways, so. He has this weird fantasy, and then it's back to him and his mom in this apartment. his mom keeps harping on Thomas Wayne, Thomas Wayne, Thomas Wayne, and Thomas Wayne this, Thomas Wayne that. And she's like, Thomas Wayne will help us. We're family. And he's like, we're not family. And she's like, no, I worked for for Thomas Wayne 30 years ago. And then you hear him on the thing, and he's talking about society, and he says that the people of Gotham need his help and that, you know, as you actually... Oh, okay. So there's some other short things that I kind of missed leading up to the to the part where she reveals that because before that happens, Arthur goes to his job. He gets a gun given to him because he had been beat up by some kids. The guy was just like, here, I know you're not supposed to ha-. He says, I know you aren't supposed to have this, but here... And gives it to him and he says, get me later. And then Arthur has the gun. He goes to a... He's, like, in the apartment playing with the gun and accidentally shoots one round off. Nothing happens. Then he goes to a children's hospital to be a clown. And while he's being a clown for some fucking reason on his clown costume, he kept the gun. It spills out, and it's, like, this, like, oh, my God, shocking moment. There are little kids there. And then, you know, he essentially gets on the train after finding out he is lost his job, and these guys start bullying on him, and they beat the shit out of him, and in self-defense, at least, so you think, and I want to keep saying this, so you think, he shoots and kills these three guys, and it seems like okay, maybe he actually did do that part, right? You find out those guys work for Wayne, so Thomas Wayne's like, you know, and then like, there becomes an undercurrent Because actually Thomas Wayne represents corporate America in this movie. And what it's trying to say is like, look at the corporate America not really caring about the people who are suffering down on, on the streets. Saying they care that you're suffering and then not really doing much to actually help the problem. And how people who are stuck in power like that need to be removed because they aren't helping the situation. They're creating a bigger problem by putting their foot on society, by not allowing the middle class to raise up and, and, and then become a, a stronger, higher-valued upper class and then not even have a lower class because the lower class then is able to move into a, a more of a middle class range, you know? Uh, so these three guys who get killed by, allegedly, Arthur Fleck, I say allegedly, again, There, there's more to discuss, but, uh, you know, boom, dead, and then there's this, like, uprising in the city. More people wearing clown masks. More people talking about kill the rich. And this whole ideology of, like, what I said. They all realize, like, oh, shit, the dude's at the top fucking us. He is just railroading us raw dog style, no lube. You know, just, like, the worst possible situation. Um, And what does that create? It creates an undercurrent where... The society that's actually suffering, they all become one voice. They unify. Talk about unification. The situations and causalities that are life unify people. The real situations, the being, suffering, living, uh, experiencing together, right? So you have all these like-minded people who are realizing that the upper class is killing them and they don't want to die anymore. They're over it. And they see this killing of these Wayne guys these Wayne uh, stock traders or whatever the fuck they are undergrads or whatever they end up being I don't remember what exactly title they were given they become like reverse martyrs they become kind of like a focal point of like yes we need more of that in this city which creates dissent and chaos so as the movie progresses you know uh, Arthur Fleck's mom gets sick and that's a kind of like the first hour midway point point. Um, and then there's some interesting things because there's certain like Arthur wants to be a stand up comedian he tells Zaza beats character you should come see me do a thing sometime uh, in this alleged conversation they have in the hallway uh, and then you go to him at the at the club and he does try to do some comedy but he's just laughing and he's so awkward and it just doesn't work and I know people like that, man. They want to be funny or whatever, but there's too many things internally that are roadblocks they aren't even aware of uh, that force them off their own path. So he's trying to tell his jokes, and he's laughing before he's even telling the jokes, and then his jokes are absolutely terrible. You know, like my mom said something about, in the movie he says, like, the joke is like, my mother told me to enjoy school cuz one day you'll have to work for a living. Um but no mom, I won't have to work cuz I'm a comedian and nobody laughs. And then like he tells another joke and says like and the punchline is and nobody's laughing now and nobody was laughing or whatever. Well, it's so bad that it becomes viral kind of just a well-known clip or whatever and it becomes something that gets on the Franklin or on the Murray Franklin show. And that leads to uh, another path that we're going down. So that actually happens. There are moments that do happen. There are parts of this that are real, but there are also parts that are in his head. Uh one thing I really loved about this movie to go really back in the early part of the movie, he's talking to a social worker who's like his uh guidance counselor just to make sure like that he's okay, not really a psychiatrist but just someone who's there to kind of listen. Uh and he's like you don't even listen. Like he he just tells her straight up, he's like you're not even listening. You tell me try, to try not to have negative thoughts, and all I have are negative thoughts. And That really resonated with me. like It like hurt my soul. I know people who don't want to live their life in torment and in pain, who do live with negative thoughts every second of their existence. And it's a sad reality. It's really hard, you know? So I really sympathized with that. So we go back to where I was talking about, and one thing, in the club you see Zaza Beat's character... In the hallway, you see Zaza Beat's character. At the hospital with Arthur for a little bit, you see Zaza Beat's character. He then goes home, and he finds... or Well, he is going to leave before he leaves the apartment to go do something. I don't remember what exactly he was going to do. I think it was maybe to go do the stand-up or something. His mom is... Oh, no, he comes home from that, and his mom is asleep on the thing. And she tells him, she's like there's a letter, there's a letter, you have to mail it, or it's urgent, it's to Thomas Wayne, you have to mail it to him, it's urgent, he has to get to it, and and she had sent letters previously and never heard back, never heard back, never heard back, and he's like, what the fuck? So, you get, flash forward a little bit into the movie again where she's in the hospital, so she, something happens, and the detectives came to ask Walter some questions, or Walter, Fleck Arthur Fleck. Sorry, not Walter. Arthur Fleck. Um Walter Peck is who I was thinking about. That's Ghostbusters. Totally different movie. My bad. So Arthur uh, you know, finds out that his mom's in the hospital. He or he you know he returns home to see her getting loaded in the ambulance. He gets in, they go to the hospital, the detectives meet him there, they're trying to ask him some questions. He's like not what they're expecting. Oh, he also Arthur has this card that he hands to people that says, I have a condition. Although I may be laughing, it's um, because I don't know how to process my emotions and express them. So I might be laughing in a situation where I'm sad or scared or something, you know. And and so they ask him about that. We got one of your cards. Is that real? Is it a condition? He's like, I don't know. You tell me. Is it a condition? And he walks into the hospital. So he's in the hospital and... (laughs) you know he's he's now at a point a little bit later on where he's alone with his mom and he's opened the note and he read it and he learns that according to his mom Thomas Wayne is his dad and I was like oh of course that's that's great storytelling the guy that's going to become the joker is is Thomas Wayne's dad that's like kind of brutal and brilliant you know uh so he asks about it and then he kind of freaks out on her and smothers her. And then he returns to the apartment. He doesn't go to his apartment. He goes to Zaza's apartment and just sits on her couch. And she is just, you hear her in the other room. And I'm like, I wonder how this interaction with these two are going to go, you know? And it was really interesting because my thought was exactly what was going to come to pass. is like, she's going to go out there and not have a fucking clue who he is or why he's in there. And everything he saw with her has been an imagination, and it was. He envisioned it. He wished that he was kissing her in the hallway after he saw her go back into her place. Uh you know, he envisioned her at the comedy club laughing to his jokes and helping to get make him feel because there was moments where it was like when you were faced with the reality of like, oh my God, this is a really awkward, cringe worthy situation it would like deer in headlights you to making him think like, oh, well, he came out okay. Like people were laughing and and whatnot, but it was all in his head. And even she was in his head. In the hospital, she's not there. So she's like, oh, you're Arthur. I need you to, you know, get out of my apartment or whatever. I don't really know you. And he breaks down again. And then this is, again, descent into madness. He is being stripped away of everything. His mother's gone. His job is gone. His friends are gone. Oh, my God, his friends... Uh, show up to his apartment after the whole Zaza thing. And he like fucking murks one of them out. Maybe. I don't know. Again, don't know if that was real. Don't know if that was just his visualization. He does get a call to be on the Murray Franklin show. He goes, uh, he kind of, it seems like he's going to kill himself on the show. And I'm just like, wow, this is going to be a fucked up end of this movie. And then they don't do that at all, which was nice. They swerve you. And I'm not going to give you the full ending. I think that's kind of rude and presumptuous, but he does go on the Murray Franklin show. Stuff happens, he ends up getting arrested, he then is in the cop car, it gets hit by a vehicle, they lay his body on the hood of the car, and like all this crowd is surrounding him, and he stands Mm -hmm. up eventually, you know, and while all this is happening, oh, so there's chaos in the streets of Gotham, and you see Zorro is playing at this theater, and as soon as I saw Zorro, I was like, oh, they're gonna fucking do that too? Yeah, this movie's got some mad mad balls and great and 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 great uh script for sure. So, we get it. We get Thomas Wayne, Martha Wayne, and Bruce who we did meet earlier in the movie. Uh Bruce does have a face to face with Arthur who confronts uh, the Waynes who make him realize that his mother was crazy. She lied. She had schizophrenia problems and all these other de- deficiencies that made her make up a story that she was with Thomas Wayne when that was not in fact the fact and that Arthur wasn't uh, his kid and that Arthur was actually adopted. And like this whole, again, descent into madness. You're you're taking this person who was Arthur in the first of the movies, very innocent, gentle guy who doesn't want to harm anybody You're stripping away his humanity by how you treated him and how you deceived him and hurt him again and again and again. And it's what I'm trying to say. The bigger narrative of this movie trying to set forth the ideology that how we treat each other is another part of the reason why our society is fucked. Not just the geopolitical climate and all that's going on. So. Uh. He has the rise-up moment, and then we go back to the theater, as I was saying, and you see a guy in a Joker-looking mask. There's these very specific masks that kind of had this, honestly, pretty cool, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, nod a little bit to the Dark Knight Joker's uh, mask he wears in the, uh, in the bank scene, but somebody in a Joker mask shoots and kills the Waynes right in front of Bruce. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is awesome. And then you go back to seeing walking Phoenix and he's, he is now in Arkham state penitentiary or Arkham asylum as it's going to become. And he's talking to somebody and then uh, there's another snap moment. And, And the movie, again, it shows you, it really, really easily takes you by the hand and says, look, if Nate, me per se, uh, Has this life and has all these things going for it but my core my foundation of a person is already deficient because of things I can't control brain damages, defects at birth all these different things uh, learning disabilities and then if you couple all those things with stripping that life away, take away everything in that Nate's life, replace it with sorrow and sadness And also those deficiencies that the world is already cruel to you. You know, you have some level of acceptance that you weren't allowed to just live a quote, unquote, and I'm air quoting right now, normal life, right? So it does, it shows, but then it shows also on a greater scale that people who have that kind of um, worry-free mentality of come what may... Uh, can also influence great change. And he, in some ways, does because he comes an icon. And it, it's the icon that changes Gotham, and it changes the story. And again, honestly, when we found out there was going to be a Joker movie, I don't know if you guys remember, I was very upset. And I was mainly upset because Todd Phillips is like, oh, we didn't take anything from the comics, we don't care about the comics, comics mean nothing to us. I don't think that's the case at all. I think they took very subtle, beautiful little things, sprinkled them in because they are important to a story, but gave it a different sense of realism. This is like if Chris Nolan got a hold of just the Joker story and wasn't telling Heath Ledger's Joker story within The Dark Knight, and he was just telling a Joker flick. It could have been very much like this because there was some similarities. Now, it wasn't nearly as violent. There was some crazy violence. There was some really bloody, insane moments. But all in all, the movie had heart. It really explains to you and shows you how as a society and as a people, we can help each other out just with kindness. It is the most basic thing we can all share. I mean, literally, I forgot to tell you guys this. Friday, I went to fucking Starbucks. We're in at Starbucks. We order our drinks. We get to the window. And lays lady's like, have a nice day. And I'm like, i got to pay you? And she's like, nah, not today. The person in front of you paid. And that shit never happens to me, man. Never. And I'm like, cool. Well, what's the total for the folks behind me? We're going to pay it forward and help them out. Their total was a little bit less than ours. Whatever. Doesn't matter. We still paid it forward. Hooked them up. Hooked them up. And I tell you what, man. It feels good. Kindness feels better than any other thing you can do towards another person. Being kind is the greatest act. It'll make you feel good. It'll make them feel good. It's a two-way street, right? So, if I were to rate the Joker, um, out of five stars, oh man, this is hard because. As a comic book movie, it wasn't really comic book movie E. It didn't really have that. It was more of a story, and that was great. As an Oscar movie, I think it's probably going to win Best Picture. It was a very great movie, and the color palette and the choice of everything was was awesome. All in all, I think this movie deserves a solid five stars it really does I think that even if you maybe don't necessarily get down with that character maybe if you don't even like comic book movies at all this is a movie for every person because at its heart it shows us the human side of life and what some people literally deal with every single day of their existence turmoil every single day so That's all I really had to say about the Joker. I'm sure that when I have other folks who have seen it on AP or whoever's seen it, we're going to have a lot more to discuss because there's going to be some back and forth and some questions and things of that nature and and what do I think they thought and uh, interpreting certain scenes as meaning more than just the scene itself, kind of the bigger picture allegory for what each scene in that movie represented. Um, But yeah, loved the movie. I do suggest you check it out. It is no laughing matter. And uh, with that, I don't know. I think I'm going to transition really quickly into the thing we didn't really get to cover last week. So we kind of talked about it a little bit. I said something was fake. It's not fake. It's real. I'm confused. We'll get into that in a minute. But anyways, the Morbius trailer dropped last Monday, folks. Holy shit. This trailer was lit is the word. L I motherfucking TT. One of those things where, again, I'll say it just like the Joker. I wasn't really excited for this thing. You tell me that you're not doing uh, a movie tied into the MCU verse. And I'm just like, come on, get the fuck out of here. This is dumb. Please don't do it. You know, whatever the fucking case may be. So, this trailer did a couple things. It exceeded my expectation, it surprised me, it impressed me, and it shocked me. So, all in all, do I think Jared Leto is the best person to play Morbius? Eh, he, he's okay, sure, and I understand you probably want him in that role. He probably feels he needs to redeem himself to the comic book fan. Maybe this is the right opportunity. Much like in the comics, we learn Michael Morbius has a blood condition that's slowly killing and breaking him down and weakening him. And we get kind of the the whole fucking movie in the trailer. You see them in the test lab working with the vampire bats. You see him have to go do the actual uh, procedure in some fucking waterfall cave shit that's in the middle of nowhere, right? Uh, you see the bats come to him, uh, all these things. You see this crazy scene where he's like running bamf style in this place and then like attacks this person. You don't see the person. You see him in a cage, he's banging and smashing shit and trying to get out and they won't let him out. This like all glass cage and you know, you're finding out the story, you're getting some of the supporting characters and, and what they might roles they might play in Morbius's story. And then you get a couple things. We got what I think might actually be the very, very end of the movie, unless they're going to make it really early on that Morbius can just change from his vampire form to human form back and forth whenever he wants, which is not how they did it at all in the comics, but it's a different kind of a uh, MacGuffin for your story. I get it. It's cool. It's different. So get to that final scene. And you hear, uh, got tired of being a good guy, eh, Doc? And as you're hearing the Anadoc, Morbius is walking right next to Michael Keaton, who is Adrian Toomes from Spider-Man Homecoming. And here the fuck we are. So now, what does that mean? Well, That now means that the Spider-Man web of Spider-Man universe that Sony is developing, which has your Venoms, it now has Morbius, it possibly is going to have Black Cat and Silver Sable, even though I think that movie actually itself got scrapped. There were some other movies they had discussed also bringing into that uh, web of Spider-Verse. So... Pretty much means, though, that the MCU now has ties to this, that has ties to that. That means that now Spidey has an official channel. There was also the scene we talked about last week where Morbius is walking down an alley and he's in an orange jumpsuit and there's the fucking... We didn't see the scene, but we saw the picture with the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. What I actually think is, is I think in that universe, because of the Avengers and because of the post-snap blip, that like the Spider-Man game exists. As does the Avengers game, even though it got delayed and it's not out yet, and I can't believe it got delayed. Motherfucks. But, oh well. That game exists, which means that alternate uniforms for Spider-Man exist, right? Creative things that are Tom Holland's Peter Parker could potentially wear alternate designs or whatever. Which just means that somebody in the movie took a screenshot from PS4 game, printed it, and then somebody wrote, Murderer over it. Okay. And the murderer ties back to the assumption that Quentin Beck is dead from far from home, right? So, we're just getting it all. Now, if Tom Holland appears in Venom, and then they renegotiate terms, and they can keep building this, I think the MCU doing the... Because here's my thought. If you did three of the movies, Venom, Morbius, and another movie, whatever it is, not a part of your Sinister Six build-up, but a part of the Webs of Spider-Man verse, and then did the three other characters, your Adrian Toomes, Vulture, your Quentin Beck's Mysterio, and then, let's say, Craven the Hunter, Craven uh, Sergio. um, I think that's his name. I fuck that up sometimes. But anyways, then you have this cross-pollination in such a way that fans are like, oh, man, to, to see all... You have to see the three side movies, which gives... Mad money to Sony. They make bank off of it, especially if Tom Holland appears in it, and God forbid any other characters appear in it that make people like, holy fuck, you have to get eyes on these movies immediately, go to the theater yesterday to see it, even though it's not out yet, and whatnot. Like, that is gonna drive people to the theater even more, and then it's gonna drive people who are not necessarily 100% sold on the MCU yet into the MCU if they're a fan of Sonyverse. They're gonna be like, oh shit, they decided to work together, and them work us working together, again, further, faster, Or further together, you know, faster alone. But you're going to go further together. And that's the important thing. So, Sony and Disney, I think they got a really great thing going here. I'm really looking forward to Morbius. That comes out um, sometime this year. What was the date, actually? I don't know if they released the date. But also, this cast has Matt Smith, Tyrese, I mean, Jared Harris. I'm a... I'm all about it in theaters this summer. So keep your eyes peeled this summer. I'd say probably July. And maybe we'll get a tease for uh, what's coming next with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. This would be a good place to put it as an after credit scene if we get to see Tom Holland there. Uh, still dealing and reeling with the effects that everybody in the world knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Uh, it could just, again, you're you're driving people to keep their interest and keep it up. And, and, and the love of these characters, I think that's what's most important. I think Sony's starting to figure that out. The love of these characters are more important to the fans than anything else. So if you're true to the character and you try to keep everything together, I guess, is the way to say that, we as fans are going to appreciate that more. It's going to make us definitely want to spend our money a lot quicker uh, and go to the films to see whatever you're putting out, Sony and or Disney. So let's go on now, folks. We've got a couple little things here. Uh, last night, Avengers Endgame wins the SAG Award for Outstanding Stunt Ensemble. Official hours before the official SAG ceremony to begin the annual awards has announced a handful of winners on Twitter. One of those winners included Avengers Endgame, which took home the hardware for Outstanding Action Performance by a stunt ensemble in a motion picture. The award was The only nomination Endgame received at the SAGs. Other films for that award were Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Joker, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, meaning Joker got beat by Avengers Endgame. That's cool. For the most part, the award often goes to genre-oriented movies. Last year, Ryan Coogler's Black Panther won the award, while Wonder Woman won the year prior. Other winners since the award was first introduced in 07 are Dark Knight, Star Trek Conception, Harry Potter, and Deathly Alice Part II, and Mad Max Fury Road. So, it's the last big nomination for Endgame between now and the Oscars. They got nominated for the Best Visual Effects and Best Score at the Grammys. So, they've got the Oscar and BAFTA award possible chances to win. Uh, we'll see what Endgame does. I don't really predict them taking too much home. Not to say that it's not an amazing movie. I don't want you to think like that. I just, it's it's the, the award season and they're fickle bastards. And there's a preconceived notion, right? So, let us just real quick here discuss one last thing before we get down here as it seems a confirmed synopsis for Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness has come out. I'm going to read that synopsis to you guys because it's got a couple little uh, teases of things to return. After the events of Avengers Endgame, Doctor Stephen Strange continues his research on the Time Stone, but an old friend turned enemy seeks to destroy every sorcerer on Earth, method- messing with Strange's plans and also causing him to unleash an unspeakable evil. So Baron Mordo is my guest to return, or maybe Amy Adams returns, but as a ba- Rachel McAdams, uh, returns, but maybe as a baddie. Not sure. Uh, the Time Stone was destroyed during Endgame and then sent back to the past to the Sorcerer Supreme. So, unless Strange can figure out how to... If he can atomically reconfigure the stones that were destroyed by Thanos, you know, reduced to atoms, then he conceivably could bring back all the Infinity Stones, and that leads to a whole other series of possible problems. Uh... Although I'm not sure what kind of universe post-Endgame is going to be because now, I mean, those stones were destroyed by Thanos, and then Tony did the snap, and then those stones were returned to their original timeline sequentially, but the world that the Avengers are living in, those stones are only atoms. So at an atomic level, they still exist to keep the time stream going, but they aren't really Gems anymore, so I don't know if they're going to use that as a crux later on. But we're going to figure that out. We do know that Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Cumberbatch, Benedict Wong, and Elizabeth Olsen are going to be in this movie. Uh, but I'm wondering if Chiwetel Ego 4 maybe uh, could be uh, coming back as Baron Mordo. That makes sense to me. Baron Mordo is like, you know, the bill always comes due. Now I'm going to fuck you up, Strange. But Scott uh, Scott Derrickson leaving that movie is kind of sad, but they still are going to film this summer. So we're going to learn about this very soon. And uh, I think with that, folks, we're going to get out of here. You know, it's a little bit early today. It's a little bit of a shorter podcast, but I don't want to encumber you guys with a bunch of shit. We talked about The Very Heavy Joker. It was no laughing matter. Uh, I want to thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, check us out at journeyintocomics.com. Get us on Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox. Tune in. Apple Music, and many others. Just search Journey Into Comics Network. One feed, it's all you will need. We release shows almost every single day of the week. You got content consistently coming your way. Something to check out. Folks, this has been Journey Into Comics 279. No laughing matter. I have been Nate. And as always, pop your caps back. And fill your brains with shit. Later, guys. You know what hold no, don't actually later. Just one one other thing though. Real quick. One other thing. I just want to say this before we get out of here for real. I know I did the whole spiel, I broke us down, but let's just wait. Go to journeyintocomics.com on a computer, please. If you can, because I have been doing a ton of work getting the archives for the Journey into Comics Network. Up on the site, so what that means is, is that instead of having to try to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll a thousand plus podcasts to find an episode from the olden days that you might want to listen to now, instead, go over to the Nifty Difty side tab. You can search every twenty-five Journey into Comics shows by season, shows by series, and it's pretty easy, self-explanatory. Those are all self-navigationing, so you can travel between show the same show and find what you're looking for specifically. You don't have to keep going out and back into the different menus. Uh, That's going to do it, folks. Pop your cap back. Fill your brains. Wish it. I did it already, but we'll see you guys later.